We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown. Hey there, thanks for joining Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. He's Chris Biederman. I'm Kyle Madsen. We're your hosts. Chris, how are you surviving in our mock post-apocalyptic hellscape? Uh, I'm good. I'm it's good. I'm in, right uh, yeah, I'm, I'm neck deep in draft content. I've figured out who my draft crush is going to be. Uh, so I'm going to write about that tomorrow. Got a draft preview coming out a little bit later this week. Wrote three stories today because John Lynch had a uh, had a Zoom call with Bay Area reporters, which was which was refreshing to actually get to like talk to somebody for for some content to to write and you know do do the breaking news thing, which is kind of nice. Uh, how are you? What's up with you? I'm good. I also had some stuff to write about today. John Lynch had a conference call with local reporters, a Zoom call. And so while you guys did all the hard work, I aggregated. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I just um, I, I, I wrote about a lot of the same stuff you did. I thought it was it was fun to actually sit down to write and have there be content that didn't need to be completely like 
generated from scratch because while that's fun now and then it it gets uh it gets a little rough during during portions of the off season so it it is a welcome it's, change it's nice. to have breaking news which essentially writes itself as opposed right. to a bunch of draft stuff which is all just us speculating at, at varying levels and our own evaluations of what's happening, which often tend to be wrong, which is what we're going to talk about in this podcast, which is why I'm looking forward to it so much. Yeah. So I think the big thing we'll start with is uh, from that, that press conference and two pieces of uh, news that came out today, Adam Schefter this morning reported that the 49ers were open to trading back from both the 13th and 31st picks. Lynch confirmed that, that that has, has been the case confirmed that they're open to trading uh, he didn't confirm the other piece of, of news that came out. And Chris, I want to get your thoughts on this here. Um, Michael Lombardi tweeted, quote, from talking to teams around the league, 49ers want to clean up some cap issues and have made D Ford and Quan Alexander, along with Marquise Goodwin and Jaquaski Tart, available for trade. Will they get takers? Not sure, but all four names are on the available list for the right price. Lynch was a little more mum on that and just kind of said like, Hey, we love those guys. We're moving forward with them uh, with the exception of, of Marquise Goodwin. So um, I want to hold off on Goodwin for a second. What did you make of the report and, and Lynch's comments afterwards that, that Ford and Alexander and Tart were all available. So Lynch didn't flat out deny that those guys were potentially uh, on the trading block but uh, he did say we love those guys and we look forward to moving forward with them he didn't name them specifically but his answer was in response to a question about that exact tweet um, the first thing that jumps to my mind and and I I think it's those those three guys are going to be difficult to move I think D Ford is very unlikely to be traded because the 49ers don't really have much recourse in terms of filling that spot at defensive end where they're already kind of thin because their top backup is Ronald Blair. And we don't even know when Ronald Blair is going to be ready because he's coming off an ACL tear he suffered in November. Um, so I tend to think the 49ers are probably going to sit tight with D Ford. I don't think they would cut D Ford and just sign Jadavian Clowney. I, I, I just can't see it happening. I think Clowney's going to want too much money, um, probably security of a long-term deal, and, and the 49ers aren't going to do that. Ford is probably overpaid, at least based on what he did last year. Six and a half sacks, just playing 22% of the snaps. Um, you know, if he plays like the team envisions, you know, 50, 60% of the snaps, um, a primary pass rusher, uh, I think they envision him as a double-digit sack guy, and they're hoping that he can get healthy this offseason so he can provide them that. Right. And Quan Alexander's interesting. I mean, basically the theme for, for all of these guys mentioned on this list, they have pricey non-rookie contracts and they've had availability issues recently. So Quan Alexander, mm -hmm. of course, tore his ACL in October of 2018 before signing that, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> before signing that four-year $54 million deal with the 49ers last offseason which was a very big number. And then he restructured in November, which is interesting because he has cap hits over $16 million in 2021 and 2022. Now the team could get rid of him this off season in a trade or release post June 1st and have about a $4 million cap hit dead cap hit. Um, so 
look, you you don't want to pay a linebacker sixteen million dollars unless he's you know maybe Bobby Wagner, prime Luke Keekley or somebody like that. So right. I would imagine Quan Alexander is not going to get to the point where he's making sixteen million dollars in both twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. It just doesn't make sense. So um, Alexander's contract this year is feasible. That was a big part of the extension, the restructure. Uh, was shrinking his cap number. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I think it's it's pretty modest compared to the $14 million hit he was slated to have before that. Um, and Jaquaski tart I mean, I, th- this sort of feels like the Trent Brown situation to me, whereas Tart is entering the last year of his contract. He's a good player like Trent Brown was, but I don't see the 49ers, you know, paying for Tart given that, He doesn't take the ball away. I think he has just two interceptions uh, in his five seasons and just a couple forced fumbles. Um, And he's missed a lot of time. He missed missed four games in December with a rib injury, but he missed 15 games in in 2017 and 2018 combined because of of various issues. I know he's had recurring shoulder stingers um, throughout his career, so that's been kind of a problem. So the fact that Jaquaski Tart is entering the final year of his of his extension he signed in 2018 uh, to see him mentioned in trade rumors. Um, that doesn't really surprise me at all. And, and look, the 49ers have, uh, they don't have draft picks in the second, third and fourth round. So if there are players that might get them in that range in the draft, then I could see why they would do that because it would also create some sort of cap flexibility. Now, like I said, I don't think Ford has a whole lot of trade value right now. I, I don't think Quan Alexander yeah. does either. Um, of those four guys, I think Tart probably has the most because he is a good player. Um, I just don't know that he's a franchise-altering player, but for a team that really needs a veteran safety, uh, who's versatile, who's fast, who's who's got good size and is a good tackler, trading Tart for you know a fourth-round pick if you're the 49ers might make a lot of sense, particularly if you think you can get a replacement in the draft. So I don't. I'm not expecting the 49ers to trade any of these guys with the exception of maybe Goodwin. And I think you're probably only getting a sixth or seventh round pick for him. Tart, maybe a fourth or a fifth. Um, But in terms of Ford and Alexander, I think they're sticking around. And I think the reason why they were mentioned, I don't think this is something the 49ers were leaking out there. I think this is something that other teams have talked to the 49ers about and then relayed that to, to Mike Lombardi, who of course is a longtime executive in the league. And right. has worked for the Raiders and the 49ers in the past. Um, so that's my my prolonged take of, about <laughs> the idea that all four of those guys are on the block. Yeah, like it, it wouldn't if if a team called and said, hey, we'll give you a second round pick for D Ford, like the 49ers aren't saying no. <laughs> if that's what yeah. if that's what their available means. One note on, on Jaquaski Tart. Uh, I think that that is is kind of worth noting is that uh, last year when he was out, the Niners gave up an average of 35 points and 291 passing yards a game. So they they really struggled uh, when when he wasn't in. So I think that's interesting. And Ford was also out for there was a lot of crossover between when Ford was out, too. Yeah. So so certainly important players don't want to diminish their impact uh, on the 49ers. But I think just with all the things you mentioned on on their salary cap numbers and Alexander this year has a four and a half million dollar cap hit that escalates to 16 and a half million next year 
um, but he's pretty affordable to uh, to release uh, a post June one release for him next year right. when it comes to the three million dollar uh, dead cap hit. So and you have Drake uh, Greenlaw who you know presumably yeah. could play at a similar level if not the same level next year. Yeah, and I think I think also just I, I mean because like like you just mentioned, available with these guys is such a like touchy term because it's not like the Niners are actively trying to sell them or or, or um, it's not like the Niners are actively trying to trade them, right. but everybody has a team, price. Yeah, right. That's 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 what I'm getting at essentially. Uh, but to your point, it's not like they have super easy contracts uh, to get rid of, but. Uh, I, I, I thought the Schefter report this morning that the Niners were open to trading both the 13th and 31st picks. I thought that was one of those like duh reports. Like yeah. it was just uh, a reputable reporter putting his name on and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to knock Schefter. He's great at his job, but that was just something I think everybody has just kind of assumed has been the case. The Niners don't have a pick in rounds two, three or four. Of course they're open to trading back. <laughs> yeah, and, and the right, and the interesting thing about it, which I wrote about uh, for a story that's going to publish Tuesday morning, is like the Niners have a pretty difficult needle to thread right now because they have obvious areas of need, they have holes in the starting lineup, and you know they only have two picks in the in the first round, um, and then don't pick again till till round five, like like we mentioned over and over again, and so. I asked John Lynch about that today. Like, how do you balance the idea of like, all right, we need to find surefire starters who can keep us in Super Bowl contention and maybe replace Emmanuel Sanders and DeForest Buckner straight up. Or do we, do we not rely on two draft picks to, to fill those voids? And do we just kind of continue building our team on a normal basis without the the championship window in mind. And when I say that, I mean, are you going to be willing to move down from 13 to, I don't know, say 21 um, if it means getting second and third round picks, knowing that you're less likely to, to maybe get an immediate starter or a pro bowler as a rookie, uh, which you're more likely to find at 13. And there, and still there's no guarantee that that player will be there at 13. So and John Lynch basically said, like, we don't know. Like, we're trying to figure that out right now um, in terms of how they're building this team. So they wanna they they wanna do both. Obviously, you you wanna find a way to win in 2020 and add players that you could plug and play in the starting lineup and, and feel really good about, but also maintain your championship window, keeping it open by continuing to replenish the roster with talent because Look, Joe Staley probably doesn't have more than two years left. Uh, the same is true for Richard Sherman. So at some point, you're going to have to replace those guys. And rather do it than doing it in free agency where you're going to have to overpay at premium positions, you're going to have to fill them, fill those voids with guys that you draft. Well, if you draft a guy in the second round this year and he doesn't have to be a starter till 2021, he's going to be in a much better spot to succeed than he would be as just a rookie, even if it's a highly right. drafted guy in most cases taking over that starting job. Like, so the, it's a very intricate conversation and it's a, it's, it's unique to the 49ers and maybe a couple other teams in the league in that like 
they have to win now. The expectation next year is is going back to the Super Bowl or bust. Like it's it's going to be a failure if, if they're not at least in that discussion as a Super Bowl contender when we're you know when we're in January. So it's tough, man. You trade away DeForest Buckner, and it's like, all right, you got to do a lot. But there's there's the other side of it too, which is like, you know, do we need a receiver or is Debo Samuel going to make that big jump and become a star in the league? And then he's your number one and you don't necessarily need a number one receiver anymore. Right. Right. Like is DJ Jones going to turn into, uh, going to evolve from, you know, a rotational nose tackle to a guy who maybe has a lot of juice and, and maybe somebody we're undervaluing in this whole discussion as somebody, maybe he's a pro bowl type guy and and I'm not making that declaration, but if you're the 49ers, those it's are things you have, you have to, to factor going into. Yeah, those are the things you have to factor going into this draft. And it impacts who you're going to take because their view of the roster is drastically different than ours on the media, than to everybody listening at home or in their cars or wherever they are. So it's it's just a really the draft is is one of the most fascinating things about the NFL because teams view their own rosters dramatically different than fans and media do. And what ends up happening a lot of times is we get really surprised by what happens and then you see it on the field and, oh yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. And one of the things this year is you talk about the draft being fascinating. I think that, that COVID-19 and the shutdowns from that uh, have really not, not just the mechanics of the actual draft itself, but just kind of the lead up to it and not being able to visit with players. And Daniel Jeremiah tweeted something today that you pointed out. He said, I believe we'll see less groupthink in the draft this year at pro days, coaches and scouts from different teams spend so much time around each other and they end up forming a consensus on players. That's not the case this year. Some will be shocked at how high and low these guys go. And Ian Rappaport tweeted something similar a couple days ago, how he was hearing from a GM that he's never seen mock drafts be more wrong. And that goes hand in hand with something that that John Lynch said today about how there are six foundational players at number 13 uh, that the Niners are looking at where they wouldn't trade back if that player was available. So, I, Which is I, fascinating. Very, very interesting. Because GMs are never that transparent right before the draft. Right. And I'm wondering if, like Jeremiah said, the lack of communication with, with other teams uh, among scouts has, has led Lynch to say that, or if it's just like so obvious, there's these top six guys that like, of course they're not trading back. Like if that was a signal of like, they're open for business, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm really interested to see because we typically have such an idea and, and, and Jeremiah and, and Rappaport kind of have me really thinking and, and trying to figure out, okay, what's so wrong? Like who is, who's, who's getting overlooked? Who's getting underlooked? <laughs> who's getting, who's getting, uh, undervalued you know, over overvalued, you know, who's going too high in these mocks. So I, I, I have a couple different ways I want to go here, but first, I want to get to John Lynch's six foundational players. He obviously didn't name them because that would be wild. Can we hit, can we hit a, one more piece of news first? Mm. I alluded to it earlier. Joe state, John Lynch yeah, said yeah, Joe Staley's do, probably going to come first. back. Yes. 
which is which is important because tackle has been a, a position of conversation for the 49ers in the first round at both picks at 13 and 31 and potentially trading back. So with Staley coming back, I would think that unless they're really worried about Staley, um, which I don't know that they necessarily should be because he played well last year when he was healthy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that he's like not durable or anything now because um, yeah. he's been durable throughout his career before last year. Uh, I kind of, I'm kind of leaning towards the 49ers not being in the mix for a tackle uh, on day one or maybe even day two. Yeah, that, that was, that was my big takeaway as well. And I think if they do wind up going tackle at like 13, if it's not one of these players that we're going to talk about in a minute, I, I, that would be shocking. Yeah. I'd be very surprised. And it, it would be one of those things where the alarm bells would start going off of, okay, so what are they not saying about Joe Staley? Right. But, uh, we will, we will cross that bridge when we get to it for now, though, it sounds like Staley is going to return. Uh, he's in San Diego right now, which is what he typically does during the offseason program anyways. Mm-hmm. So uh, nothing nothing drastically different yet and and no serious indicators that he's pointing on. And I think Staley is the kind of guy who wouldn't, like he's aware of timing and, and where the Niners are at. And I can't imagine he's the kind of player who would would wait until right before training camp and then retire after the draft and after, after right. free agency, the Anthony think, Davis. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to name names, but it, I, I think that he would have let them know a long time ago. Right. If, if he wasn't going to be back. So, uh, John Lynch's six foundational players. I, I mentioned it earlier. He was talking about trading back from from both 13 and 31 and he he basically said there are six quote foundational players they believe uh are are in the top of this draft who if they're available at 13 the Niners would not be open to trading so Chris I would mm-hmm. like you to take a wild stab in the dark at who those six players are so thinking about the receivers a lot I think Henry Ruggs is the best fit of the top three guys. Um, he's blazing fast. He's not the biggest guy. Kyle Shanahan has, has always seemed to prefer movement skills over bigger guys. Um, and the the whole Dante Pettis thing and the fact that, you know, he might lack physicality at the catch point and doesn't do well on passes over the middle. And that being the number one concern for Jerry Judy, just sort of makes me think that, all right, when you're talking about foundational players, Judy might not be one of those. It's not to say he's, he's going to be a buster or wouldn't be a good pick if the 49ers took him. But when you're talking about a foundational player, you're talking about somebody who's more or less flawless. Somebody There's who, like three of those at receiver in the world. Right, exactly. Like in terms of in terms of receivers in the league that fit that profile right now, it's probably like Michael Thomas, Julio Jones. And like DeAndre Hopkins, like I don't, I don't even know if you'd put Odell Beckham Jr. in in that group because of. I think um, from a talent perspective, you would. Right, but are you building your team around Odell Beckham Jr.? And we've seen from the yeah. two teams he's been on that he's not, he's not a guy that translates to winning. And obviously, there's a whole lot that goes into that. Sure. Um, but he was so, on some really good Giants teams. Yeah, but but so like. 
So thinking about foundational players, like DeForest Buckner to me is a foundational player because that's John Lynch called him a foundational player, but in terms of availability, durability, production, leadership, Buckner basically checked every single box, right? So there are no concerns. Like he can be a leader in your building. You don't have to worry about him at all. He's going to practice hard. Um, He's going to play through injuries. He's everything you would want. Like DeForest Buckner checks all those boxes, right? So looking at this draft, the six foundational guys, like just trying to crawl inside John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan's head to me, Joe Burrow, the quarterback from LSU, Chase Young, the pass rusher from Ohio State, Jeff Okuda, corner from Ohio State, Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker safety hybrid freak alien athlete from Clemson. <laughs> uh, the Clemson Trist- defensive guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, Tristan Wirfs, the offensive lineman from Iowa, who might end up being a really good guard, maybe not cut out to play tackle. We'll have to see about that. Um, and then Derek Brown. And uh, and I know I've made the case on this podcast and maybe even in my writing that I think Javon Kinlaw would be a better fit for the 49ers than Derek Brown. I just think Derek Brown um, has a higher floor and is less likely to bust than Kinlaw. Um, and our, I, ju- our... I just think that's a motor thing. Kinlaw yeah. has a a tragic and really sad story like throughout his life um there were anger issues that he had growing up um there you can you can google google javon kinlaw's backstory and and you'll find a lot of stuff and and some of it like he might bounce back from it and it and he might be better from it or it might be a scenario where the past comes back up um at some point and affects him off the field and you know i'm i'm i would hate to even speculate about, you know, somebody's past impacting their future and, and all of that. I, I'm not trying to do that, but I'm saying in, in terms of somebody who's a foundational guy, you're not going to have any questions about that stuff for a foundational guy. So that that's why sure. Kinlaw isn't necessarily there for me. So Burrow, Young, Okuda, Simmons, Wirfs, and Brown are the six, uh, are the six for me. And I didn't include, well, I guess I, I included Wirfs, but I didn't include Jedrick Wills, or Makai or Andrew Thomas, um, or C.J. Henderson. I don't think Henderson's a fit for the 49ers. I know a lot of people like him. I, I just don't really see it with him necessarily as as a you know top half of the first round guy. And that might be my own opinion, but um, those are the six. So if you're looking at those six and then seeing where the 49ers pick at 13, it's like it doesn't seem like one of those foundational guys are going to be there, which makes me think they're going to be inclined to trade back. I have Wills on my list over Derek Brown okay. because something that uh, our buddy Kyle McClure brought up to me that I haven't been able to shake is that Derek Brown is a very NFL bust name. And I'm letting that color my evaluation of him as a player. Yeah. I mean, that's a scientific <laughs> analytical approach. That you could uh, take. But no, I, I I just I I worry about uh, a guy who who probably fits better as as like a like a nose tackle, right. and I think that's where he'll be most effective. Um, and I I think that Jedrick Wills is like a plug and play. He's just gonna I don't know if he'll be an all pro, but he's just gonna be a really high quality starter for a long time. And Joe Staley was never an all pro, but he was a really high quality starter for a long time. And when you talk about foundational, I think that to me, that's kind of what stands out 
is is a player that you just know is going to be there 16 games, going to do his job and do it well and make some Pro Bowls. And I think that's the kind of player Jedrick Wills is. So I have him there instead of Brown. But everybody else uh, that you mentioned, Burrow, Young, Okuda, Simmons, and Wirfs, I, I think will all certainly be gone by 13, even with uh, you know the Jeremiah and Rappaport observations about how you know there's going to be uh, something different uh, than, than we're seeing in mock drafts. But I feel like those guys are just kind of unimpeachable top-end talents. They're going to go in the top 10. Even if one of them slides, they're not going to slide all the way down to 13 to the 49ers. And I think that, to me, basically says uh, it, 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 to me, increases the likelihood that the Niners are going to trade back from 13. Because yeah, I same. think the odds, I, I think the odds that one of those guys is there. I think Brown probably has the highest likelihood of being there, uh, of the players we just mentioned. But e- even then, I'm, it's not something I would, I would bet on, and we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just, I, I would not be surprised if the Niners wind up trading back multiple times on day one. Okay, so. Before we do take our quick break, I I think that's a good transition to lead into the point that I want to make that I think this this draft for the 49ers is going to look a lot like the 2018 draft in the first round where they went a direction that um, that none of us really saw coming. So we're going to talk about that after we take a very quick break. Quick break. Kyle, with currently no NBA except for the last dance. Uh, NHL or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Las Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live, daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's all open 24 hours a day and all online at betonline.ag. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. I'm going to give you guys a free betting tip here via Chris Sims of Pro Football Talk. He said he will be shocked if tight end Cole Kemet does not get drafted in the first round. I'll be shocked. You can right now on betonline.ag, you can go on there, you can go to sports, scroll down to futures, NFL futures. They have a whole bunch of NFL draft props there. Pick your favorites. Go crazy. Over half a tight end to go in the first round. So basically for one tight end to get drafted in the first round is plus 550 right now. That means if you bet a hundred on that, you win $550 or you can bet a smaller amount. Uh, if you're somebody like me and $10 wins you $55. And if Chris Sims says that he'll be shocked if a tight end doesn't go in the first round, I'm taking those odds. So that is your tip of the day brought to you by candlestick chronicles, candle tip chronicles. <laughs> nice work. Thanks. Um, let's get back to it. Let's get back to the draft. Okay. So the reason why these last few days I've been thinking about the 2018 draft so much and, you know, having done this since 2013, it isn't always as easy as saying, oh, the Niners are going to take Nick Bosa number two. Like, that's pretty obvious. Like, it was pretty cut and dry last year. 
that Nick Bosa would be the pick. And and part of that was you're picking two and you have a very obvious need at defensive end. So that's what the 49ers did. I think about 2018 because the 49ers were picking ninth. And me and basically everybody else, maybe with the exception of Cam Inman, like a day before the draft, nobody mentioned Mike McGlinchey as a possibility. No one even brought up the idea really of the 49ers drafting a tackle because they already had Trent Brown, um, who they wound up trading immediately after getting Mike McGlinchey. So in 2018, everybody was writing about, you know, is it going to be Derwin James, Tremaine Edmonds, uh, Marcus Davenport, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, Bradley Chubb wasn't going to fall, Denzel Ward, cornerback. The, The 49ers had so many needs on defense after being not very good on defense in 2017 or, or you know, obviously 2016, 2015, that we all sort of just penciled him in for a defensive player without thinking about, well, what could be a big picture need that isn't necessarily a need right now? And it wound up being right tackle with, with McGlinchey, which is why I want to take a, a different approach to this podcast because all we've done is talk about you know, receivers, offensive linemen, defensive tackles, uh, even cornerback, maybe to a lesser extent, particularly at 13. But like, what is what is the scenario that we're missing that could happen on draft night that would make everybody go, oh, why didn't I see that earlier? Like, it's not it's not a need right now, but maybe next year it's a need or over the next four years, it's probably the best fit. Um, so we made a list of guys that uh that could be could be in that mix, particularly if the 49ers trade down from 13, which seems, like you said, much more likely now that John Lynch basically identified there are six foundational guys at the top half of the first round. And with there just being six and a bunch of them being, you know, top five guys, like one of those dudes might not be there at 13. So we're looking at a scenario where it's it could be likely the 49ers move back from 13. So who are the guys that we that we haven't talked enough about to this point that deserves some discussion before the draft that's just three days away. Yeah, I I, I really think that I, I, just so many so many signs point to the 49ers going that route again. I, I just I don't think that there's such a glaring positional need that it's like they need to go this direction. And there's a lot of talent available especially if they trade back into like the 16, 17, 18 range where it's like, Oh, that's, that's easy to see how this guy fits on the roster. So the first guy we have here is LSU defensive end, Caleb on chase on D Ford was mentioned in a trade rumor today from Michael Lombardi that we mentioned and Nick Wagner, friend of the pod has also talked about how Ford's contract is, is easy to, to get out of after this year. So it wouldn't be a huge shock to, to see the Niners try and bolster something that, that we already, that we already view as a strength kind of getting out ahead. Something you mentioned in, in one of last week's podcasts that I thought was really important for viewing the draft is how the 49ers are drafting for two, three, four years from now, and not just looking at the immediacy of the 2020 season. And so when you talk about a defensive end, I I really think that looking beyond 2020, that really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and Chasen is a guy, really just a one-year starter at LSU. He didn't light up the stat sheet. A lot of the first-round talk with him is about traits and maybe the fact that he's just 20. 
Uh, he won't turn 21 until July. Um, but you know, six and a half sacks, forced fumble, two pass deflections, like not somebody who lit up the stat sheet at LSU, but at 6'3", 254, he didn't test at the combine. So we don't know exactly what kind of athlete he is, but he's considered a very, very good athlete uh, who is explosive. And that makes me think of D Ford. And if there's a scenario where like, look, there are probably a bunch of people rolling their eyes, like not another defensive end, like this isn't going to happen. Well, there's there's a pretty reasonable scenario where D Ford isn't on the 49ers uh, beyond 2020. Right. So like at some point you are going to have to find a replacement. And, you know, I've mentioned this tons and tons of times. So like one of my favorite things about the whole team building discussion is building on your strength and making sure that if you've constructed your roster to where pass rush is a strength, then you need to ensure that pass rush remains a strength if you get banged up and you're hurt a little bit, because otherwise it's a lot harder to play the brand of football you're designed to play. Right. Yeah. So if D Ford continues to have injury issues, and you use a first round pick on somebody like Chase on, which I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and admit I've, I've studied him um, super closely. And I know his production doesn't mat doesn't match his traits. And that's probably the biggest knock on him. I know PFF, they don't even have a first round grade on him, but um, other people like uh, Dane Brugler have him as a number two edge guy in the class. Like it, it just could be something where we're projecting uh, what what the 49ers look, are looking for in terms of their starting lineup in 2021 rather than right now. And, and right. another thing John Lynch mentioned today in, in the team building discussion, he's like, well, this might not be the year for us to have 10 picks like we did, you know, in 2017 and 2018, because there aren't going to be 10 open roster spots because we have right. a good team and we have a bunch of guys signed. Um, but where you don't have a bunch of guys signed is defensive end. So that's why mm-hmm. I threw chase on in here. Um, because your top backup is Ronald Blair, basically, um, and he's hurt. We don't even know if he's going to be available for the start of training camp, whenever that happens. Right. And uh, and so I think, you know, an edge defender, whether it's in the first round or not, um, is something that we need to consider. Yeah, and I, I, I think that that all of these guys really follow that theme that you just mentioned. Like, they don't they they might have bodies at that spot but not not reliable players that, that they feel confident they can lean on to to eat uh, uh a fair share of snaps in a game so uh do we want to stay at edge or do we want to go down the list exactly as it is here on the rundown i'm leaving that up to you i just realized that we went three straight lsu guys in the list yeah, so let's let's mix it up. Let's stay at the edge and okay. and go with Iowa's AJ Epinesa. Uh, Epinesa is a guy who has the size to be to be a versatile defensive lineman. He he played on the edge in college. Not like when when you watch Epinesa, it's not like you know you watch Chase Young or Nick Bosa, and they just win in in every different way. Right. I, I don't think Epines is a guy like that, which is why he isn't being considered uh, earlier in the first round. But like a versatile defensive end who's strong and can set the edge and can kick inside and has a motor that doesn't stop. Uh, and he's super freaking strong. Like I, I just that seems like the a really traditional like four three defensive end. Uh, who might be a more effective pass rusher from the inside can set the edge in the run. I just he checks a lot of boxes when when we talk about when we talk about edge players for the Niners. 
Yeah. And, and I think, you know, to me, Epinesa is somebody who I did watch a little bit and you like his versatility because he can play inside um, as well as outside, but he's not like a quick, quick twitch, like bendy dude. He's very much a power defensive lineman, but right. he has enough versatility at 275 pounds where he could play inside or outside. And to me, he seems like the guy that like, um, you know, Kyle Van Noy or something like Bill, Bill Belichick could turn him into a dude that has, you know, eight sacks every year is a plus run defender and a guy who ends up getting cashed out on the open market um, because, you know, of all of his production he has in a good defensive scheme. So to me, that that type of high floor player would make sense for the 49ers if they did trade back because it adds versatility to their defensive line, which they need now. Um, because, you know, one of the things the 49ers had going for them last year is because DeForest Buckner was such a good three technique, you could move Eric Armstead around and you can have right. him play wide nine or you could have him play four eye or, you you know, you could have him um, play basically anywhere. Can you explain what four What's that? Can you explain what four eye is? I believe it's on the inside shoulder of the guard, maybe head Got up it. on a guard. Okay. So the bigger the number, the further outside the formation you are. So like a wide nine is like is like outside a tight end or or if there is no tight end on that side, like way outside the tackle. Right. Basically. Um, so like a zero tech is head up on the center and that's a nose tackle. Right. Um, so there's probably some like actual person who knows about football like a coach or player and they're like no it's not a four eye in this in this sense at us (laughs) um but no epinesa is somebody that i think could play all over the line has a very high floor i don't know that he's ever going to be a star but i think in a right sure system he's somebody who could be like you know what he's he's a good player and um and as you know kyle the 49ers enjoy their iowa prospects it's a great point so i i think epinesa could be could be a reasonable option i don't don't think he's going to be a player that like if they trade down to like 15 or 18 something like that i think he's he's probably going to go in the 20s um but i i i I do think we need to mention him because um because of the 49ers ties to iowa because of the versatility and because of the fact that like he might be a dude that can be one of your three best defensive linemen on a championship level defense yeah, he's like he kind of he reminds me a little bit as we talk about it here. It's like Ronald Blair, but with better traits, mm-hmm. like just that kind of player that just gets the job done and, and may not ever make a Pro Bowl. But I wonder if AJ Epinesa is one of those guys that might slide a little bit like there's players that aren't being talked about who uh, who who make their way up the board and, and he get put he gets pushed down and maybe the 49ers find themselves uh, with him in their lap in you know the 40s if they trade back from 31 so can i uh, uh I can i pat myself on the back that. real quick i mean it depends on your flexibility you do a lot of yoga so i imagine <laughs> um I- i'm going through pro football folks's draft guide and mm-hmm. uh and they said uh mike renner who does a really good job for them the pro Big comparison for aj epinesa is trey flowers which is oh. exactly what i just laid out patriots guy versatile good against the running pass so Getting getting Trey Flowers late in round one essentially would be would be a really nice get for the 49ers if that's what Epinesa turns out being. 
cool. So now we know that Chris is lifting notes from Mike Renner. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, no, I, I, I think that that your observation's right and more correct than his observation. Thanks. Uh, let's 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 stay on the defensive side of the ball here. Uh, Patrick Queen, another LSU guy. He's w- one of those linebackers that is just. Um, I've not watched a ton of him, but what jumps out is just how athletic he is. And to me, if you're athletic and you can play against the run, it's like you're the perfect modern linebacker. And there's instinctual stuff and, you know, smaller things that that separate a guy from being an all-pro or a pro bowler or just a regular starter. But uh, Queen seems to have, like, every possible trait of a modern linebacker to step in and be really good really quick. Yeah, undersized, flies around, ran a 4-5. Undersized by, like, 1990 standards. Though, right. Like. He's he, Yeah, he's like the size of Fred Warner. Ran a 4-5, um, which is the 97th percentile among linebackers. So maybe somebody who's, you know, can can be that coverage-type linebacker uh, in the league at the next level. And, you know, Robert Sala really, really likes fast linebackers. So, look. It's not likely the 49ers are going to use the fir- their use a first round pick on a linebacker. That's just, you know, that that's unlikely. I I I'm fine saying that, but we have to keep in mind that Quan Alexander is in a trade report and the 49ers have to look at the contract that they gave him and all the injury issues. Remember Quan Alexander had surgery on the offseason to repair uh, a biceps injury. So yeah. in the last two years, he tore an ACL, tore a pec, and now had bicep surgery after the season. And he's due to make $16 million in 2021 and 2022 at a position that many people don't consider premium. So I understand it, it's sort of funny to be like, well, linebacker is in a premium position. Why are you paying for it? Use a first round pick on it. That's kind of like talking out of both sides of your mouth. But um, I think Queen is somebody that we need to consider just because he fits that exact type yep. of uh, of linebacker that that Robert Sala would covet. And just having having versatile, fast players who don't need to come off the field on running downs or passing downs. It's just it's super valuable. That's why the 49ers defense was part of why their defense was so good last year was because whether it was Quan Alexander or Fred Warner or Dre Greenlaw, it was really, really tough to to get a mismatch on those guys. I mean, Fred Warner had a pass breakup against Hollywood Brown when they played the Ravens. I, I mean, that's that's pretty pretty rare stuff. And so having a bunch of those guys on on your roster and looking down the line where they they may lose a guy like Alexander just because of his contract beyond next year, that's that's where a guy like Queen makes a lot of sense. Yep. So staying on the defensive side, uh, <laughs> I was trying to assess how many offensive players there are here, and there's one. Uh, <laughs> so Xavier McKinney, a player who early in the draft process was was a popular mock draft selection for the Niners at, at the 31st pick. As the process has gone on, though, it really seems like he's going to go a lot earlier than that because he's uh, a safety who's plug and play into basically any system. He has the tools to kind of do a little bit of everything. And we mentioned this last week with Antoine Winfield and, and, and McKinney, I think is a better prospect than Winfield, but 
just when there's a player who's really good at football, like you add him and you figure out what to do with him. Yeah. So McKinney is, he actually reminds me a lot of Jimmy Ward in the way that he tackles. And I think Jimmy Ward, I think that's one of the strengths to his game. I mean, you and I are, are the co-presidents of the Jimmy Ward fan yes. club slash uh, we're the purveyors of Jimmy Ward Island. Um, but like the way McKinney tackles reminds me a lot of Jimmy Ward and that guys are often going backwards. He hits a lot harder than his frame might indicate. He's six foot. 200 pounds but he's a strong safety and he really hits like a strong safety but he's also versatile enough to play free safety and in the slot and to me watching him and reading about him he seems like the most bust brute bust proof player maybe outside of you know the the six foundational guys that that we might have mentioned earlier like mckinney to me like his one weakness is, well, he's he's not an elite athlete. Well, he's athletic enough. Like he's he's yeah, right. been a very good player his whole career. His per, his productivity probably outweighs the traits. If he were like a traits guy, like if he, you know, was four four and six one two twenty, he would be a top ten pick. We'd be talking about him like Isaiah Simmons, but because he's not big, that sort of you know, that that for whatever reason, like to me, he's a lot like Jamal Adams, um, who wasn't a big guy either, but had a really good college career and wound up being, you know, a very, very high draft pick. Um, I think McKinney's I don't think he's like as good as Jamal Adams right now, but I think they're very similar players. Oh, that's interesting. And I really like McKinney as a blitzer. He's a really good tackler. Everything you read about him from like leadership, um, to intangibles he he had 10 10 turnover worthy plays whether that be forced fumbles or interceptions created wow my voice is cracking a lot today something's okay it's like super hard to notice (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's the allergies um but uh so I, i just think like mckinney is one of those guys to me that if you're a playoff team picking in the 20s and you end up with a dude who's just a very, very good football player but doesn't go in the top 10 because he doesn't have the crazy traits, you're going to be thrilled to get him. And so for me, yeah. I, th- I, I'm, I think McKinney would be an excellent pick for the 49ers and it falls into the, into the McGlinchey paradox. Like, wait, where's the need? They don't need a safety. Well, we, we mentioned it earlier. Like, Jaquaski Tart is entering the final year of his contract Durability has been an issue throughout Tart's career. Causing turnovers has been a turnover has been an issue throughout Tart's career. And McKinney has really good ball skills. Like I said, two 10 turnovers created the last two years at Alabama, a team leader. Um, Alabama had a lot of injuries on defense, and, and McKinney sort of just like willed the team through them. Um, which I think is interesting. And uh like he's He's just he's just that guy. Everybody on the internet is comparing him to Malcolm Jenkins. If he's Malcolm Jenkins, that would be great. I think he might end up being better than Malcolm Jenkins. Um, but Jenkins had a fine career. Like yeah, Jenkins. You, if you put Malcolm Jenkins on the 49ers defense, there would be, you know, he would be excellent. Yeah. Um. So I think going forward with Tart entering the last year of his career, I think McKinney would make a ton of sense. 
um, particularly if you trade back. I know safety isn't necessarily like a position that um, that people consider like premium, but when you look at his versatility, he had I think he had one of the only guys in the draft to play 200 snaps at free safety, 200 snaps of strong safety, and 200 snaps of slot corner. So you might wow. have a need eventually with Kwan Williams entering the last year of his contract. Jimmy Ward's injury history is what it is, and it's prolific, right? So there's a chance that you might need McKinney to play free safety if Ward were to get hurt, or if Jaquaski Tart is the only guy, the only veteran of that group um, that Lombardi tweeted with any trade value. If you can get a fourth round pick for Jaquaski Tart, then why not use your first round pick on Xavier McKinney if you think he's a Jamal Adams type player? which I think there are some people in the league that think he might be. So um, can I McKinney, make a, can I, McKinney's my favorite guy on this list by, by a pretty I, considerable margin. Can I make a prediction about Xavier McKinney? Sure. I believe that Mel Kuyper Jr. of ESPN, when Xavier McKinney gets picked, whenever it is, he's going to say that it's great value, and McKinney's a guy who would have gone earlier in the draft if not for all the offensive tackles and wide receivers available this year. Sure. I'm making that prediction now. Rack it. I've got it written down. Whoever, uh, is it Tim editing tonight? I think so. Tim, rack it. Uh... <laughs> also, one more thing. Uh, Xavier McKinney's, so I'm not a big PFF grade guy. Sure. Um, because You're I about to spit out some PFF grades, though. About to spit out a, PF, a couple PFF grades. You're a PFF grade guy when they fit your narrative, and I respect that about you. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, anyway, I'm, I don't want to get into a PFF discussion, but um, McKinney's coverage grade, according to Pro Football Focus last year, 89.2, which is elite. Um, Isaiah Simmons, the safety linebacker who's, you know, expected to be a top 10 guy, uh, his coverage grade was 88.2. So also elite, but a little bit worse than McKinney. Um, I just think McKinney's going to be really good, man. He's really, really good against the run. He's a very good coverage safety. Uh, I think if he's your long-term strong safety with what the 49ers have in their front seven, I mean, I think he could be really, really good. Um, so that is, that's my McKinney take. And, uh, and yeah, if, if the 49ers, the, the, it's going to be funny. Like if the 49ers trade down and take Xavier McKinney, I think Twitter might explode, but I think like in two years, everybody would, love the pick yeah you're you're gonna do after all this rack all this too by the way so this is this is on audio for posterity uh that 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 way you can just do a victory lap if this happens if that happens and then kuiper says what i'm gonna say i believe that everybody in the world should be required to subscribe to our podcast we might we might have to like change the intro that's fine be like it would be a clip of you saying this is what Kuiper is going to say and then Kuiper saying it yeah and then uh Beyonce will record a song that it's like they're the best pocket no, I'm, I'm just gonna stop now yeah uh Trevon Diggs is a name you have here uh, on the rundown you put a question mark next to it and Diggs is fascinating because I've seen him mocked as high as like like 15 and then I've seen right. him mocked as low as the second round <laughs> right uh here's 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 what i i did a espionation radio hit today during this podcast where yeah you know it's whatever 
I do a lot of out-of-market radio hits. I'm a huge deal. <laughs> I'm a huge deal in the world of internet radio. Uh, no, I, I I had Diggs going to the Niners at 31 and basically said if they trade back and he's available, I can see him targeting him. He's not like a great athlete, but he has freaking 32 and three quarter inch arms. He's 6'2", 205. Like if you had Robert Sala build a cornerback in a lab, it would come out looking a lot like Trevon Diggs. And he's not super athletic, but when you play as much zone as the Niners do, that athleticism isn't as big of a deal. And I just, so much of what goes into the draft is like scheme fit. Mm-hmm. And so much of what makes a player succeed is whether he goes to a team that's going to use him correctly. And I think that a player like Diggs is someone who might get overlooked by other teams because he's not super athletic, but the Niners uh, could could probably find a spot for him right away. 11 PBUs, three interceptions this last year. Um, he's a former receiver, which Richard Sherman was a former receiver. I don't know if you knew that. Um, but I did know that. Yeah, okay. I, f- I figured as much. Stefan Diggs' brother, your guy, Stefan Diggs. Um, I love Stefan Diggs. Big Stefan Diggs guy. <laughs> so, yeah, Matt Miller said it on the podcast we recorded last week, which came out Monday, which you guys should all listen to if you haven't already. And he basically said, like, really the only cornerback anywhere near the top of this draft class that is a real fit for, you know, the classic cover three Seattle style um scheme the 49ers run it's it's digs like digs is that guy yeah in this class and like you mentioned he could be one of those people that some people love in the first half of round one and other people might have a round two grade on so i put the question mark there because like well is he somebody that they could trade back from uh at 13 and get and fill and fill a long-term need like he would probably start this year opposite richard sherman and then take over for Sherman whenever Sherman is no longer around. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think Diggs is is sort of that guy. Like he's, um, I mean, you watch him play, he, he returns kicks or he returned kicks a few times and, and was like really nasty at it. Um, He played offense as a freshman, as a receiver at Alabama and, uh, 11 catches for 88 yards and a touchdown. I don't know when exactly that came. I'm guessing that was probably when they played some also ran uh, school. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I just think Diggs Diggs could be the best fit at cornerback of all the guys that um, we've we've been talking about at cornerback. And if he ends up being one of these guys that, you know, ends up going much earlier than, than we all expect, then I think he would absolutely be in that discussion in terms of somebody the 49ers might trade back for. I want to call a quick audible. Okay. And before we move on to the last guy on this list, just because we're talking about cornerbacks uh, who would fit the Niners really well. Um, Damon Arnett from Ohio State, I think is another one of those guys who would fit with the Niners super well short arms though that's that's fine um we we've seen the niners kind of buck their trend a little bit uh that's true of uh that kind of prototype corner and i think that if if barnett's there if they move back into like the third or fourth round and he's there that's the other kind of player i think they might look at anyways bryce hall virginia as well 
uh dude barrow's still on his payroll i see you man uh yep. <laughs> like 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 barrow's the only one talking about bryce hall <laughs> yeah um another lsu guy third one on this list uh lsu chronicles uh justin jefferson the wide receiver probably a little too early to take him at 13 but he's the kind of player who's been going in mocks like later in the first round and just when you look at what kind of teams are are looking for receivers or how many teams are looking for receivers it's pretty easy to see him slide uh, especially if if Henry Ruggs or or Jerry Judy or CD Lamb kind of tumble a little bit so if the Niners do trade back and they want to take a receiver Justin Jefferson is is definitely like just runs routes is fast enough he creates space yeah re- really good hands he can line up wherever uh i i i think he would be a really nice fit with with kyle shanahan i just don't think 13 is is the right spot for him which is why he's on this trade back list yeah um what what's funny to me about receivers talking about the nfl draft and reading scouting reports and and how they might fit for kyle shanahan is anytime you hear you know oh he's probably just a slot well like all right why is he a slot well he's really good at getting open in small spaces well that's that's helpful really at anywhere on the field right so like Debo a lot of people thought Debo Samuel would be a slot receiver right right because that's primarily what he played in college like it doesn't always work like that like these dudes can line up anywhere Kyle Shanahan asks these dudes to, to line up all over the place so if you're a slot guy it probably means you're good at getting open and and you shouldn't you probably shouldn't just be relegated to um that moniker of like a slot receiver like i i think jefferson would be good at you know whether he was playing the z or the x or the f like for kyle shane the f's in the slot but i i think being able to play the slot is important and yeah. necessary i don't i don't think that um anyway like if the if there are people out there who don't think the 49ers would take justin jefferson because he's a slot receiver i would tell you you're wrong i think jefferson's going to be really good he's really smooth but I don't think he's like a foundational player because he seems a lot like the ideal number two receiver to me. If that makes sense, like he can be a starter and a very good player, but is he going to be your number one guy, like the focal point of your passing attack? And maybe that's not what the 49ers need because they have Debo and George Kittle. Um, yeah. But, you know, like uh, he, he might end up being the pick and it, Dude, and it would get- make sense. Dude, he gets open and he catches the ball. <laughs> he does stuff. Like, like I know that's he. You know, I just I watch. I weirdly watched a lot of LSU games this year, and <laughs> he just he can. I don't know. He can do stuff. No, here's here's the thing that that like stands out to me, and I know this is uh, one of those things that you can't really like quantify. Uh, but in the three biggest games of the year, Justin Jefferson. In the SEC championship against Georgia, seven catches, 115 yards, and a touchdown. In the college football playoff semifinal, he goes 14 catches for 227 and four touchdowns. I'm taking that with a grain of salt because it was Oklahoma and their quote-unquote defense. But then he backs it up against Clemson, nine catches and 106 yards. Right. The three biggest games of the year, and he has 30 catches for more than 400 yards and five touchdowns. Yeah. And that 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 to me, especially against a defense like Georgia and defense like Clemson, who who are NFL guys on it, that that matters to me. 
Um, you know, he torched Florida. He torched Mississippi State. He torched Ole Miss. Uh, seven for 79 against Alabama. Like, he's just super high volume, and he produced. So, um, speaking of receivers, I, I just want to mention this, and this is sort of a separate part of the conversation. Actually, maybe it's intertwined. Um, Peter King of uh, NBC Sports, Football Morning in America, today, or that published today, he he has a chart in here. Um, and I think it's pertinent because, you know, there's so many receivers in this draft, particularly, you know, in round one. And, you know, we've only been not only, but we've the, the receivers have dominated our discussion. And there's a pretty reasonable case to be made that, you know, the 49ers could pass on CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs and go with somebody at 31 or round two or three, whatever. Um, and some of the data that uh, Peter King lays out here sort of makes that point. So King basically laid out, like he said, 11 receivers drafted in either the first or second round since 2016 have averaged 50 catches or more per season as a pro. So these are guys that just average 50 catches, which is, you know, solid. Um, nine were drafted in round two. So of those 11 guys, nine of them were round two players. Um, Michael Thomas, round two. Juju Smith-Schuster, Sterling Shepard, Tyler Boyd, DK Metcalf, Cortland Sutton, Debo Samuel, Christian Kirk, AJ Brown. All second round picks. The, the first round picks on this list uh, are DJ Moore of the Carolina Panthers and Calvin Ridley of the Falcons, who did who had 64 catches, 844 yards last year. Um, the point being, like, you can get a good receiver in round two, and maybe this is the year to do it. Um, and I know, you know, you and I have talked so much about receivers and how much Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy and maybe CeeDee Lamb would fit. I, I don't know that CeeDee Lamb would fit necessarily, but, you know, the case for not taking a receiver at 13 and going off the beaten path and getting your receiver that you think might be a better fit anyway, even if they're a lesser prospect. Yeah. Um, it it just it just made me raise my eyebrows. And, and the more I think about it, as as sure as I was like. There's no way Kyle Shanahan would pass on Henry Ruggs. And maybe that's maybe that's true. But if they think there's more value in finding a Ruggs like player who might not run a four two, but offer a similar dynamic, if it's Brandon Ayuk or Jalen Rager or somebody else, um, that might make more sense because you could get a better player in round one and, and your overall draft class is stronger than if you were to go yeah. receiver in round one and, and another position later. Yeah, I mean, they they ultimately, I mean, every team wants to find Julio Jones or Odell Beckham. And something we said earlier in this podcast is like, those guys don't just grow on trees. I, I, I just, there's there's three or four like game-changing guys at receiver in the NFL. The Niners need a player who can just contribute. Like, they, they had Emmanuel Sanders, Kendrick Bourne, and Debo Samuel at the end of last year, and that was it. And they lost Emmanuel Sanders, and now it's just it's it's Samuel and a whole bunch of question marks, and and Kendrick Bourne obviously, but I don't think Kendrick Bourne can be an effective number two. I think he's kind of perfect in his third or fourth receiver role. So they just need to find a guy who can contribute, like a player that they can that can catch fifty balls for seven hundred yards and a few touchdowns. Like they don't they don't need a guy who's going to go for fifteen hundred yards and twelve scores. Right. And I, I I think that you can find the former later in the draft especially in a draft where 
is this receiver class since the beginning has been lauded as one of the best ever. So if that's, if that's really the case and if the Niners are buying into that, it's, it's easy to see them waiting until either later in the first round or, or on day two, if they're able to move back and, and address that position then. Yeah. So and we've talked a lot about those dudes. That's my rant. Michael sure. Pittman. Yeah. Jalen Rager. Pittman's the guy that stands out to me. Pittman's the the player that yeah that I circle and you just watch him and it's like oh of course Shanahan would like this guy. Like he's not super fast but he he can run all the routes and he wins jump balls and right. I don't know. Ayuk's interesting. I'm not a Denzel Mims guy. We talked about why in last week's pod. Very stiff. Yep. Lavisca Chanel. Uh, I don't know. I think the injury issues are a little concerning. Maybe round three. Also, if they didn't already have Debo Samuel, like Lavisca Chanel would make a lot of sense. Right. But he he has like the exact same skill set as Debo and injury problems. Yeah. Uh, T. Higgins to me is is the opposite of a Shanahan like receiver. Um, I know he's got really good ball skills and caught a ton of touchdowns. I just he's not a route runner. He's just kind of a vertical guy with a big catch radius, which is sort of the opposite of the the movement skills guy you know we we sort of talk about um guys i would really keep an eye on since this is the last pod well we're, we'll record after the first round but guys i just uh think we should keep an eye on are brian edwards of south carolina uh van jefferson of florida and where's my other guy tyler johnson of minnesota and these are all like maybe third fourth fourth round guys yeah. Um, but they might be like second or third round picks in other drafts, but because there's so many receivers in this class, they might be bumped down a little bit. Good route runners, good enough athletes, not crazy traits guys, but in the right offense, I think they could end up becoming productive starters. And if the 49ers decide not to go around one, I think they're more likely to go with guys who had really productive college careers and showed that they can run routes like yeah. Tyler Johnson and uh, and and Brian Edwards and Van Jefferson. Do you, do you think and and quickly here because we're we're well over the sixty minute mark, but do you think they they draft multiple receivers? Because I was just going through it in my head. It's Debo Samuel and Kendrick Bourne. I think are are locks to make the roster. But after that, I'm Trent Taylor's coming off a foot injury. Marquise Goodwin is probably going to get traded. Or, or cut Jalen Hurd is is an enormous question mark. I just they uh, could, Dante they could Pettis take is a huge question mark. But I, I just I'm I know that they have a lot of bodies at receiver, but I'm wondering how many of those guys are actually confident can can win a roster spot and be effective. They could definitely take two. It wouldn't surprise me if they took two. They took two in uh last 20, year. Last year? Mm-hmm. No, year before that. Because they got uh, Richie James and Pettis were in the same draft, weren't they? Uh, oh, well, they also took who last year? Debo oh. and Jalen Hurd. Jalen Hurd, you're right. Forgot about Jalen Hurd because he didn't play. Um, didn't even go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I didn't get a chance to ask John Lynch about that today. I wanted to. But John Lynch said um, in a different question that he was very high on Jalen Hurd still. So we'll we'll see. And that was um, 420. <laughs> yeah maybe that's what he meant i'm super high on this jalen hurt <laughs> <laughs> uh 
I think that's a good. That's a John Lynch. Probably not a probably not a big marijuana guy. No, probably my, not. Probably not on the Monday before the draft either. But so, uh, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. Yeah, I hope so because I need to go to bed. Now. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, but this, like you said, we'll record Thursday. We won't. We won't have live reactions necessarily. But we will very shortly after the draft hop on and, and and get the first round kind of broken down real quickly. And and I, I think there's going to be a lot to dig through in terms of who they select and kind of the velocity behind those selections and some trades. So we'll go through that quickly. And then over the weekend, we're planning on taking a deeper dive into the draft as a whole. Uh, it's an exciting time of year. The draft is typically exciting and and a lot of fun. But this year, given that, two hours of a Michael Jordan documentary uh, captivated the nation from a sports perspective. I think the draft uh, can't get here soon enough. Agreed. So agreed. I'm going to be tired as all hell. I was my, my editor and I were mapping out uh, the time, the timing of Thursday night. Mm -hmm. So like the Niners pick 13th, but if you take 10 minutes between each pick, that's, Oh yeah, dude. The, the the draft starts at five. They're going to be picking well after seven, and then if they pick again at thirty one, it'll be like what, like ten o'clock or something. So yeah, yeah, the draft going to be late forever. So there's uh there are going to be some tired podcasters hitting the airwaves, but we'll we'll battle through. There'll Excited. Be, there'll be it's caffeine. Be oh, so much caffeine. Yeah. Uh, I re you know what? No, I'm not going to go into my caffeine routine. Yeah. Uh, hey, thanks everybody. <laughs> Uh, for listening, downloading, and subscribing. If you have not subscribed yet, please be sure to do so. Going to have a ton of good draft content coming up for you. We are also working on some some really fun off-season ideas, uh, ways to get some some fresh Niners content in a time where where there won't be a lot going on. So uh, make sure to stick around for that because I'm I'm super excited about the stuff we're working on, and I think uh, you guys will be as well. So if you've not hit subscribe yet, do so now. If you have not rated yet. Please do so, unless you're going to give us less than five stars and skip that step. Uh, and, and leave a review too, but only if you're going to be nice to us. I'm joking. Uh, rate and review however you want. Uh, and we will see you guys next time. Stay safe. Stay home.